0: Chapter 5 of Zauberlinda the Wise Witch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Fullerton Samsell at ClonesofLangston.com. Zalberlinda, com. Zauberlinda the Wise Witch by Ava Catherine Gibson. Chapter 5 Annie's Seventh Birthday. It was June, and everything was looking its best out in South Dakota. It was a glorious time of year, and Annie was looking forward to her seventh birthday, with the feeling that it was surely going to bring about some happy change in her life. It now wanted just one week to that time, the 21st of June. One day, Pete brought home from the distant town a big gay-colored handbill, telling of the circus that was coming to town it was to stop for one day at cave city and as that day was to be the twenty-first of june annie thought what a delight it would be to go to the show with pete she thought that it might be one of the greatest shows on earth from the gay pictures on the handbills these showed every kind of strange animal one could think of lions and tigers elephants striped zebras etc even more wonderful were the lady riders dashing through big hoops held in air by splendidly dressed ringmasters, and then alighting on white horses and galloping on, around and around the ring. Annie, who had never been to a show in all her life, could scarcely sleep nights now for thinking about it, and her grandmother had consented to let her go. Time dragged slowly on. It was the day before the twenty-first, when old Jeff suddenly fell lame. He had stepped upon a sharp stone and hurt his foot, The circus had to be given up. It was a cruel disappointment, and to comfort her, her grandmother said she should go to town with her the following week, but, alas, that would not be her birthday. It is a very wonderful thing to be just seven years old. Annie tried not to grieve over her disappointment, but felt that she could not bear much more. The morning of the twenty-first dawned clear and bright. The dew still sparkled on the grass when the little girl, taking arabella under her arm and her sunbonnet from its nail with a small tin pail from the pantry shelf started off without saying a word to anyone as to where she was going as she passed by the barn her cat got up from a rat hole he was watching and came bounding after her annie hurried through the kitchen garden where the rows of cabbages and onions and heads of lettuce were looking thrifty and where the tall hollyhocks and sunflowers were lifting up their great flowers to the kiss of the eastern light. Then she crawled through a hole in the fence, and came out into a field of wheat, and through that into the pasture, where the cows were just breakfasting off green grass and dandelions. At last her little brown feet struck the footpath that led down to the creek but before she came to the creek itself which flowed in many a winding turn through the mclean farm she had to go through some low marshland annie loved to go through this spot for it was a little world all by itself different in every way from the prairie here grew broad-leaved water-plants tall reeds and jointed bulrushes and the fleur with its sweet scent and lovely blue and yellow blossoms here among the tall grasses grew wild mint and pennyroyal, making the air spicy with their fragrance. Here frogs hopped about, and the water fowls built nests, and dragonflies, with wings of rainbow gauze, darted hither and thither, and big bumblebees came to rifle the blossoms, and gorgeous butterflies sailed lazily, fanning the flowers with their great gay-colored wings and at night the fireflies danced their merry dance over it until the morning. Yet this morning, as the little girl wandered on, swinging her tin pail listlessly, with her sunbonnet falling back from her chubby, freckled face, she did not seem to notice everything as usually she did. And there was a sad expression in her big blue eyes that always looked so full of wonder and interest. This morning she never stopped once to pull the joints from the bulrush, or pick up one of the small shells that lay thickly around or call silvertip away from his too-close examination of a nest full of young meadow-larks it was the twenty-first of june annie's seventh birthday a day she had looked forward to for months thinking that she would surely celebrate it in some new and delightful way either by a party or going to town or doing something quite out of the common yet as is often the way when one has looked forward to a pleasant time everything had gone wrong with annie that june morning it had begun the minute she was out of bed when she combed her hair it snarled up caught in the comb and pulled and hurt her so that it brought tears to her eyes when she went downstairs the first news she heard was that her grandmother was sick in bed with one of her bad headaches and Annie could see there was not the very faintest hope of any birthday cake from Marthy Stubbs, who was cross because the day was hot, and she would have the work to do all alone. When Annie took Arabella out of her crib to dress her, she found that some way or other the old doll had sprung a leak in her left side, and that every time she was moved the sawdust poured out of her. Everybody seemed to have entirely forgotten that this was Annie McLean's birthday and that she was now seven years old. Even Pete, who never before had forgotten to give her some little present on Christmas and her birthday. Even Pete had gone off to see the show at Cave City. He had gone early that morning in the wagon with Nils Nilsson and his eight tow-headed children. This was hard to bear. To cap the climax, when the little girl went out to feed her pets, she found that Captain Gibb had been fighting with pantalettes. The poor little white rooster was all covered with blood and nearly dead. Annie parted them and gave Captain Gibb a good thrashing. Then, utterly worn out with the morning's trials, she sat down back of the chicken house and wept long and bitterly. Arabella, pantalettes, and Silvertip grouped around her, looked on pityingly and wondered what could be the matter with their little mistress, who was usually so cheerful and gay. Certainly this was not a very bright beginning for one's birthday. When Annie had cried until her eyes were red and her head ached terribly, she resolved to rush away from a house where no one seemed to take any interest in her affairs. Then she remembered that it was about the time for the wild strawberries to be ripe, and concluded to take her little pail along, and perhaps gather a few for her grandmother's tea that evening. To make everything seem darker by contrast, the evening before the twenty-first, a letter had come to them from Aunt Molly, and among other things, she described a beautiful French doll that had just been presented to Lizzie May. It was a remarkable doll, and could open and shut its eyes. Now, usually, Annie was extremely gentle with Arabella, but somehow, this morning, The impassive stare on the homely old rag-doll's face maddened her. "'Stop looking like that, you poor silly thing,' she said, shaking Arabella. "'Why don't you open and shut your eyes? You can't. You know you can't. You never did have any sense anyhow. And now you had to go and tear a big hole in your side, just on my birthday, too. Of course, such treatment as this only made the poor old doll leak worse than ever,' and this, too, was irritating. Annie grew quite reckless now and carried Arabella by one leg, with her head hanging down. A cruel way to treat a patient old doll, but the little girl was out of harmony with the peace and beauty all around her. She did not realize it, but it was really she, Annie McLean herself, who was making all this unhappiness by her own bitter and discontented thoughts, for thoughts are real things, even if you cannot see them and their effects can always be seen. It is by thinking bad thoughts that children, the big as well as the little ones, make themselves and all surrounding them miserable. The first thing that happened to take Annie's thoughts far away from herself and her troubles was this singular incident. When she came to the place on the creek bank, right opposite her playhouse under the willow tree, where a board is put across for a footbridge, She looked up and saw near the playhouse three water wagtails, all sitting in a row on a tall alder bush that leaned over the water. This interested her at once, for Pete Pumpernickel had often said that when you saw three water wagtails sitting in a row, it was a sure sign that something strange, unusual, and quite out of the common was going to happen, and so who could tell? Perhaps her birthday was going to be different from common days after all. She earnestly hoped so. End of chapter 5